Pete! Yeah. This is my job. Oh, I'm sorry. Hello, and welcome to episode 109 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with the moon landing denier, Phil Fariska. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And the anti-vaxxer, Melissa Kavanaugh. Howdy ho. No response to that? Nah. You're going to take the anti-vaxxer slam? I, I, I've been called worse things. Okay. Pete. Specifically. I don't know. Oh. Pete, that only leaves one conspiracy theory for you, buddy. What's that? You're the flat earther of the group. Pete DeMayo. It's, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's the <laughs> earth is ringed by the ice wall ice and wall. that keeps everything in. Uh, can, can we can we go on, on the record right now saying if you listen to this podcast in your flat earther, there's nothing else we can teach they you. You figured it all out. They can't have listened to this because we're listened to around the earth. <laughs> we, I know that we have listeners in Australia, which means we've yeah, been listening to around the earth, and therefore the ice earthers cannot the, listen to I don't this. think that's how it works. My favorite yeah. was when they called themselves the Global Flat Earth Movement or something. <laughs> <laughs> Oxymoron. That's hilarious. I feel like I feel like there's a percentage of the flat earthers that literally are doing it tongue in cheek. Like just it, oh, it humors started them. as a joke. Yeah. Right. The whole thing started right? as a joke and then dummies believed it. So here we are. <sighs> well, you know what else non dummies believe? They believe in email being an effective form of marketing for your hotels, ladies and gentlemen. This is true. I hope that they do. So here's what we're going to try, and I'd love to get feedback from the audience. So we want to, you know, we do a lot of topics on this show, and, and sometimes we get pretty deep into some, some stuff. But we want to go back to basics for a little while. And it won't be every week, but I think we're going to do a series sprinkled in with our regular content of Hotel Marketing 101. And just if you're new to hotel marketing... These are the fundamentals that you need to know. And we're going to start with probably, in my mind, still to this day, one of the most effective forms of marketing, which is email marketing. And we want to kind of compartmentalize a lot of this stuff. So we're not really today going to get into every facet of email marketing and CRM and, and automation and all that stuff. But we're really going to hone in on a very specific piece, which is how do you start from nothing and create and send a very effective email message to your audience, right? That's right. So Pete put these notes together. He did a really good job. We'll put the show notes on the we on the um, website as well, which you can get to at, at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 109 if you want to follow along. But hopefully if you're new to this arena, this will be a helpful episode for you. And if you like it, there will be many more to come from. Yeah, and give us feedback. Send us email at info at fueltravel.com if you like this or if you don't like this. Let us know what you think. Um, we're trying something a little new, so you know there's risk involved with that, but hopefully it'll work out for everyone. So before we get into that, we have our normal newsaroos. Well, last time we did the ah, duet. Wow, wow, wow. Hang on a second. Are we, we talked about doing a barbershop quartet. Yeah, that's not happening. Mm -mm. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's just do it this the old-fashioned way. Melissa's crying over there. Oh. Why don't you ask her if she wants to do a duet or not? Would you like to join me in a duet? Uh, it's all you this week, right. Pete. With hotel marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for news -er -oos. Oh, That's a little snap in there. I, I like the dramatic, I did. a dramatic pause before I you began. I imagine the lights were down, and then they came up right yeah. when I started. <laughs> wow. the curtain were there open? fireworks yeah. at the end? Yeah. You left me wanting more. I mean, that's, that's that, isn't that the sign of a great artist? That's what episode one ten is about. 
<laughs> Leave you wanting more? Yeah. No, this, the more that you're looking forward to. <laughs> I uh, make jokes so bad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So do we have some news or are we just going to sing about it? It's more fun to sing about it. But we do have some news or All right. We have a news directly from the Google blog that was published uh, March 26, 2019. And Google is saying that they are launching on their mobile hotel search the ability to now see vacation rentals on the hotel search. Wow. Yeah. Mobile first, followed by desktop uh, probably in the next month. Which they're following suit from, if you look at Expedia, you look at Booking.com, they've incorporated this kind of inventory into their searches too. And a lot of people say, hey, this is, you know, they've got to compete against Airbnb and consumers want choice. And we just like talked that. about Airbnb buying hotels tonight. So yeah. everybody's trying to jump on this bandwagon, huh? It's, it's weird to me though, as a consumer, if I step back and really think about it, and I don't know if... The, I, I'll be honest, I don't know if this is a fair kind of assessment because I have knowledge of the industry that I'd, I'd, I would assume that layman doesn't, right? I, I can distinguish between a hotel and a vacation rental and the benefits of each and, and whatnot. But I have a purpose when I'm going online and, and wanting to book. And, and typically, I know at the beginning what, what kind of, of accommodation I want, right? I know who I'm traveling with. I know where I want to stay. I know what I'm going to that destination for. I know the vicinity I want to be in. I know the price point probably that I want to be in. So for me, this doesn't help, right? But part of me wonders if the industry at large, we make a lot of assumptions because of the knowledge we have. Does the industry at large really care if they're staying in a hotel or you know, an Airbnb or a vacation rental that's professionally managed? Or, or well, I, I think what it comes down to is what is the stat of the week this week? Oh, stat of the week. Can I do it? You can do it. You got to do the jingle there, Melissa. It's the stat of the week. The stat of the week. Stat of the week. So that's weird. That's the first time we've ever done stat of the week inside the news room. But we have to in this case. I know. So what is it? Newsception. Um, Airbnb just checked in its 500 millionth guest. That's a lot of guests. Yeah. So that's pretty much why... The OTAs and Google are all going after the vacation rental market. And honestly, there's people there, and they're willing to pay. Back to Stuart's point, does the average consumer care? I think most, a lot. <coughs> well, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of people come in with a price point in mind and how many people they're traveling with. Like, how many beds do you need, and what do you want to spend? They don't care if it's a hotel or vacation rental. I think well, it depends. <coughs> I really do. Like, I, I and I, I think if you look at the demographics on Airbnb. It, it, and I think this is a difficult conversation to have because we're conflating a couple of different things here, right? Vacation rentals and Airbnb aren't necessarily the same thing, right? right. Vacation rentals typically are stand standalone units, not always, but typically standalone units that look a lot like an Airbnb unit, but they're usually typically professionally managed. And that comes with some, some benefits that Airbnb doesn't have, sure. right? You've got, you got things like insurances and um, the the prof the amenities that are offered by the professional management, you don't have the security risk. There's there's a lot of kind of nuances that we could unpack that I don't really think we have time to get into on this episode. Um, but it, but in general, I think vacation rentals serve a, bit, a purpose for certain types of travel, right? If you're traveling with a gr larger group of people or extended <coughs> family, a vacation rental slash Airbnb tends to be better. Airbnb tends to skew younger as well, like group travel with younger people. 
I think the people I talk to, you know, when they're young and single and there's a couple, they'll stay in an Airbnb. But when they get older and they have a kid, they want the security and the comfort of a hotel. So there's, there's a lot of that kind of nuance going on. But but me personally, I, I make that choice ahead of time. Like, am I traveling with just my wife and my two kids? And I might want a suite. I might want separate bedrooms. But I don't need the amenities offered by by a vacation rental. You know, full kitchen or whatever that is. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to go to a hotel site and be bombarded by 400 extra listings and <coughs> have to wade through that nonsense. I, personally. I, I, I personally don't see it as nonsense i mean if you if you're coming at it with i want to stay in this area i need this many beds and i'd like to be in this certain location so well, you I think just that's proved my key. point you're younger than me you don't have kids <clears throat> right no right? i think that the, the key is the filtering capabilities yeah, yeah. The, it's not the location it's so much it's not the property so much it's this is what i need i need three bedrooms okay immediately that dwindles down the results from a hotel perspective but that's really the sweet spot of the RBO or Airbnb or, or vacation rental in general. I think that the search results are getting more refined, and that's going to lead people toward Airbnbs or the RBO vacation or rentals. vacation rentals. I'm sorry, than anything else. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. I don't want because uh, I see a lot of fear mongering in the industry. There's a lot of articles about Airbnb <laughs> and VRBO and vacation rentals in general being the death of hotels and so you see hotels react in a weird way like getting inventory um that is more vacation rental you see them trying to behave more like vacation rentals and i think that's a mistake because i think there's always going to be an audience because i'm one of them i'm i'm an audience that wants the security and the comfort and the consistency of a hotel experience especially when i'm looking at brands if i'm looking at like a Marriott, I, I know what I'm going to expect in a Marriott hotel room, you know, wh- whatever flag it is that under that Marriott umbrella or, or a Hilton. But vacation rentals, especially when you're dealing with offsite rental companies, when you're dealing with Airbnb, there's an inconsistency there. And I'm at the point in my life where I, I, I don't crave the, the unknown and the adventure that can come from that. I crave normalcy and consistency. So I'd rather pay a premium for that. So, I really think that hotels, instead of worrying about what the competition's doing, what Airbnbs are doing, double down on hospitality in the truest sense and make sure you're selling your value proposition as a hotel. What do you offer that a vacation rental doesn't? You've probably got amenities on site, whether that's pools, whether that's a gym, whether it's a business center, whether that's a bar or a restaurant. You've probably got stuff on, on site that it differentiates you from a vacation rental. You may not have the room configuration, but the vast majority of travel doesn't care as much about that. The vast there there is a segment. Don't get me wrong, but don't try to don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Don't sacrifice what makes you great to try to go after a subset of an audience. That if you go after, you alienate your core audience. And and I think that's a mistake a lot of hotels are trying to make right now. Don't do it. Yeah, but this is interesting. I mean, I think this. There's no that no one should be under any illusion that Google is not going to be a major contender in the distribution side within the next few years. They're already getting there, right? Well, they're they're going to bring in more money for themselves by doing this by far. I mean, it, we have Google hotel ads now. Vacation rentals now become a part of this. I think that, that just puts more money in Google's pocket. It gives the the searcher 
more options, which in their eyes is a better experience. Now, if it sucks and people say like, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want all these garbage results. If that turns out to be the case, Google will get rid of this. They'll put mm-hmm. it in a different area. Well, I think that's the point is but Google doesn't care where you money. book. They just care that you book through right. them through their channels. Yeah. You know, if you're doing that, then you know, enjoy your stuff. They will make money. Yeah. Out of right. It. <coughs> you know, I, it's interesting though, because I look at the fact that when I book flights now, I start on Google every mm-hmm. time like yes. the, without the question. And, um, I'm not going to do that with hotels because it's still not the most convenient thing for me. So here's the thing. So I agree with you when I'm booking a flight, I don't need to look at the seat. I don't need to look at the carpeting in the airplane or the food or the bathroom. I just need a flight. I need to go from here to there. It's a completely the different decision-making yeah. process than booking a place to stay. Right. Right. But I, th- I don't need, you know, when I'm booking <clears throat> a hotel, yeah, I want to see the location. I want to see what it looks like on the inside. Right. But those are, those are more granular choices. The first choice from a hotel is, or from error, is getting the, the best deal. I mean, so that's the most important thing from a hotel or airline is I want to fly here to there. Well, I, I want to get the best price. At time, I would say as well. But it's yeah. also getting the best results. So if Google can get the best results for a hotel, people are going to gravitate toward that. And well, Google will figure out, I got to show pictures. Yeah. Google can figure that part out. But, but I think it's also about user interface. I think it's about utility. <laughs> you know, I personally, I still start on trip. If I'm going to a new destination I've not, not traveled to before and I'm not familiar with it, I typically will start on TripAdvisor mm-hmm. still. I always start on Google. Yeah. I might I might end up clicking through to TripAdvisor. But, but I'm what not do, you, going do you actually use Google Hotel Search? Yes. Yeah, so, well, typically I'll... F- or do you actually just I will search s- for I the destination hotel? destination hotels. But then you're clicking on what, typically? Sometimes it's TripAdvisor. Sometimes it's not. Right. So you haven't switched to GHA. Not as, exclusively, as, right. but I could. I mean, I if think I it will a take good, a while. And we, we see this, right, in, in, in our clients where... It's not like GHA is all of a sudden taken off. The Google I mean, Hotel Carousel, which isn't necessarily GHA, can offer up some great results too. I mean, I've used that. Right. I, I guess it depends on what's most important to you. <clears throat> to me, the quality of the product and the vicinity is the most important. Then price probably after that. But the yeah. different people are different, and, and they might want a full kitchen or separate bedrooms or whatever. I'm saying it's, the search drives the results then. Because right. if you're checking off, I want a full kitchen – I want these this, these amenities. That's yeah. what Google's bringing you further down that path. You know who really should be worried about this more than the hotels? I, I, to hotels, I think this is a new distribution Flat channel. Flat earthers. And you, because they can should. only travel on one plane. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> the, um, no, but the OTAs, the other intermediaries, because mm-hmm. Google is, is rapidly becoming a viable contender as a distribution channel. Now, the problem they have right now is they're, they're – kind of a hybrid meta search slash OTA, but they're trying to push themselves to be in an OTA. And at, at some that's point, a, that's an industry sees them as this hybrid weird thing. Customers just see them as a way to book a hotel room. But I'm not flight. talking about customers. I'm talking about the hoteliers. Like how, how do we as hoteliers process it? Right. Right. How, how do we leverage this, this new information of Google doing vacation rentals? I, I mean, I think number one, be on GHA. Right, as aggressively as you can and maximize that budget because everyone you get to book through GHA probably would have booked through Expedia or Booking.com had you not gotten them to book. All right, what's next? 
All right, so the next one is, this is big news, especially if you're on the other side of the pond. He, so did he say, say especially? He yes, did. He did. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to make a note of that and not do that ever again. All right. The EU passes big copyright changes, and this is part of a new or new legislation that just went through the EU called the Copyright and Digital Single Market Directives. More or less what this is is a strengthening of the copyright laws in the EU that basically will say if you are sharing content that could be owned by somebody else, you have to have more expressed permission to use that content. But then also if you use content that by basically copying and pasting content, <coughs> there could be fees associated with that due to the holder of that copyright. Who charges the fee? Do you know? My understanding, it, uh, I'm it honestly like not 100% fine, sure like what that part is. Like a fine type of thing? No, I don't think it's a fine. I think it's the ability where money is owed so to someone can claim else. compensation can claim. for it. Okay, so that's example. I'm a hotelier. I take my TripAdvisor reviews and I copy and paste them onto my website. TripAdvisor Trip can charge you. come to you and say yeah, you, you owe us $10,000. Yeah. Wow. So. And well, they, did they get to set the... The price point, like that's what's really well, scary it's, to it's, me. This is the problem with this law, I think, is it's so ambiguous and gray, and it's really hard to enforce. Well, it's not clear because let's say right. you're Google and you have a snippet of, and, and right. there's a couple of places. Featured snippets now <coughs> technically are illegal according yeah. to this. Yeah, I mean, when I'm looking at this as a, a Forbes article from March 26, but there's several different. I mean, this is big news. I mean, I'm looking at one from uh, Tech Radar. And it's talking about just that, where what happens when you have a snippet from oh a result. Now you're basically co using someone else's copyrighted content. So what does that mean for voice assistants? Right. There's I, a lot yeah. of implications. This is, this is a classic case where government is overstepping its bounds because they're ill-informed. Yeah. Quite clearly. This, yeah. There's a lot of nuance to this. Yeah. I think yeah. we could do an episode yeah. on it. Yeah, well, Pete had that discussion. I, I would me. disagree. <laughs> no, actually, I would completely agree. Yeah, but, I told him it wasn't worth the full episode. No, okay. Yeah, but I mean, I think, I I mean think the point is, now we unpack it. I feel like we maybe have, I was maybe wrong. we have but a short episode for you once. You don't yeah. know what the ramifications are because the people who crafted this legislation didn't. I don't think think that far. But now the question becomes: legislation, or I'm sorry, uh, basically litigation is going to have to drive. What happens next? Right. So who's sure. going to get sued? Is Google going to get sued? Is Facebook going to yeah, get sued? Yeah, this is going to have to be precedent set to determine what it means. Right. The interpretation. So when I share a link to this link, this article on Tech Radar on Facebook, did I just cost Facebook money, or is somehow am I going to be liable right. now I mean, think, for Think that? about that. So Facebook, right? When you drop a link in. Or even WordPress, some of the plugins in WordPress, if I just link to a website, it, it automatically pulls a snippet in, yeah. right? Is that now illegal? It, it's clear that they didn't think this through. It's yeah. clear that this is really restrictive. But I think that, that, you know, legislation like this tends to get made because there's a few bad actors. Right. And, and what's happened is folks have plagiarized and stolen other people's content with without permission and without the appropriate crediting and so government does what it does and it overreacts don't they already have intellectual property laws things like that that would cover this stuff yeah but i think it gets ambiguous when it's in public domain you know and the web being public domain i think 
especially social media, I think that's where it becomes really squirrely. So, I, you know, does this mean anything for you as a hotelier right now? Mm, probably not. Well, I if think you're listening in the U.S., it's just a watch and monitor. Yeah, but even if you're in the, in the EU, I mean, in general, you know, I encourage you to read other people's content and use their content to establish your authority and reference and reference their content to help your audience and stuff. But you should always, as, as part of the course, you should always ask permission before you take someone else's content. And you should always link to them and give them full mm-hmm. credit when you're borrowing or, or referencing their content. So, you know, be, be, be a good human being and this is not an issue. Right. I mean, so isn't it, that advice for every part of life, really? Yeah, it just seems yeah. like we're asking a lot of some people. <laughs> Use common sense. Is that too hard, people? Is it's that too hard? not too common. Yeah, but it's interesting. It, 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 it's more, I think it's more scary than anything else that government can come out with this kind of ill-informed legislation without really thinking through the ramifications of it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what's most scary to me. But again, those Europeans, they're really <laughs> crazy. They are. I'm glad I'm not. Well, what? Well, you're really not going to be EU much longer. Or am I? Ooh. Ooh. Brexit in episode. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Who knows? Is there going to be a revote? You decide. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So let's jump into our actual episode like 20 odd <coughs> minutes in. We all said this would be a short episode, but now it's yeah. not. Newsaroos got minutes us this time. Newsaroos. So. so Pete, you want to jump in? Yeah. So so pretty much what you're we're going to do is go through the very basics of sending a marketing email to your hotel database. We're making a lot of assumptions. We're assuming that you already have more or less a, a send platform. So you've already say, I'm using constant contact. I'm using No, they're using Fuel's email platform. Well, I have that in the note saying that we prefer you use Fuel Mail. Yeah. But we're also assuming that you know who your audience is. You know, you have an opt-in strategy and a lot of things like that. So with that thing, that yeah, aside, so you've already got a marketing strategy laid out right you have you know your target audience you know your value proposition you know your um your your messaging you've got that figured out yeah you're sitting down saying it's time for me to send an email what am i going to send and how do i do it Mm -hmm. so we're going to go through seven steps to basically make that happen and how we can kind of make this more of a, a routine that you go through an ongoing basis okay so we should should we start with number one So the very first step, and this is a step you make when you basically create your content calendar, but it's to determine your goals. Understand why am I sending an email to start with? What? What? Begin with an end in mind? Because if you don't, you're not going to be able to set your analytics up and you're not going to be able to work toward that success. If your thought is, I'm going to just press send a whole bunch, it's not going to work well for you. See, I always thought we did marketing just to check off items on a list right you're not a good marketing director if you don't market oh man so get that done and then you can spend the rest that's of the right of course that's exactly right <laughs> but no so ba- basically with a, a hotel you have a couple main kpis you're looking at the first one is going to be your revenue kpis bookings revenue calls measurements a lot on that range and then you also have an engagement and awareness set of kpis which might be opens clicks you know shares, whatever else it might be, social engagement from your emails. So you really need to decide what is the point of this email. We're going to make an assumption that we're sitting down and we're going to send a monthly newsletter. 
So this is not necessarily going to be, I know that I'm soft in June, the second week of June, and I'm going to send a dedicated email for that. This is, I want to provide an offer. I want to tell people about my property and keep them engaged. So that's really what we want to decide first is what are my goals to this message? And then from there, you move in right on over to step two, which is decide upon and create your content. <coughs> now, if you have a content calendar and... Which you, you should. Which you should. Absolutely right. This is very easy to do because I, you know from looking in the past that you need to be pushing. I mean, right now it's, what, March 29th? You know that June 5th might be a tough time period for you or the beginning of June. Now is when you're booking that. So what you want to do is go ahead and start promoting that area and promoting content to drive people to those bookings. So once you know kind of what you want to promote from a content perspective, more or less what you start doing is pulling that content together. Right. And that you shouldn't make that decision when it's time to create that email. Like right. that, you should already be planning that way ahead. A lot of our best clients, they'll figure out that content calendar and what they're going to be pushing and when way ahead of time. Yeah. Like some of them will sit down in January and plan out the whole next 12 months. Now, keeping in mind, it should be fluid, you know, and, and then you need to adjust. But there's a lot of things. If you look back over historically over what you did the previous years, you know what worked and what didn't. Right. You know when Easter is five years from now. Right. You know, the good hoteliers are going to say, I know Easter falls late, Easter falls early, whatever it might be, and I need to build my email right. communications around that. Right. And okay. if you if you are just sending one, we're not really getting into the specifics of how much email, many emails you just send and stuff like that in this, but assuming you're sending one a month, right? Arbitrarily, because mm -hmm. some send fewer, some send more, whatever. If you're sending one just kind of blast email once a month, you should plan out that ahead of time. Like what, what is the subject? What is the theme? What is the, you know, kind of tone of it going to be? You can plan that out way ahead of time. So you're not scrambling right mm -hmm. at the last minute. Well, and I think the other thing to consider as well is when you're building out content for the email, it has to link somewhere. So if your content team has not produced any con, let's, let's play on the Easter scenario. If nobody's built out any content, hasn't built out any specials or anything for Easter, well, you can't send an email then, you know, so you want this to work kind of cohesively with your other efforts to make sure that, okay, I know Easter's coming up. I have Easter articles. I have Easter content, Easter specials ready to go. So when you send your email, it's not so much a massive content development you know, strategy. It's more of just alerting people to what you're currently offering. Right. And I Go ahead. I was going to say, from a from a content perspective, not everybody has a content team. Maybe you don't have that content. Doesn't mean you can't send the email. It just means it's not filling our best practices. It's not going to be as effective as it could be. Yeah, you, you don't could want write to things to do in your area for Easter within an email. You could. You could put it in an email. But what's the value yeah, in that, right? It's not, you, it's, mean, not as, it's not as effective. You can't put that in the bank. You can't yeah. put engagement in the email in the bank. Right. And, you know, some people... They, they take cut corners and say, well, I don't have that article, but so-and-so does, so let me just link to that. Which you should never do. Yeah. Never. I mean, I literally never do that. It's it's tough, right? Because you, you need to start, when you're thinking about the content, it, it's not, it should never be self-serving. It should never be, what do I want to push on these people? It should be, the, the question in your head is, what would be valuable to these people? 
the, the audience I'm trying to reach and, and what I'm trying to get them to do, what would help them make that decision? You know, so in the Easter thing, it might be, you know, the places in your area that offer Easter activities or Easter lunches or whatever, right? List of churches, whatever you do. Yeah, Easter services. That, yeah. That, yeah. So think about what's going to be valuable to those people and, and then make sure you have control of that content mm-hmm. and that it's written in a way that puts you in the best light and you at the center of it. So, so for example, to follow up on Phil's idea of churches, what are the churches near to you? And that's not just listing the churches with the n- number of miles they are away, but give them a humanized explanation of those churches, you know, do specific directions. Hours. Yeah, like what your mm-hmm. recommendations are and what the yeah. benefits and, the, you know, be useful and helpful. Don't just mail it in. And if you don't know, do your research. Yeah, for sure. And that's more from the content side. I think the good thing from, from an email side is you don't have to create a lot of content for an email because you don't have that much of a share of the audience's attention yet. You know, if someone stays at your property once a year and you're sending monthly, that means 11 times you're hitting them with information that might just be helpful, but it's not going to be a trigger to book. And that 12th time or whatever time it might be is going to be the actual trigger. So you want to do a combination of both offer deals, which is what makes a cash register ring, which is your first set of KPIs. But it shouldn't be just that. Right. And that's where I think you want to intermix content, you know, helpful information about the destination, your property, whatever it might be. Right. So any form of communication, and, and this is a critical part of good marketing, any, any point you have the opportunity to touch the guest, communicate with the guest, you have an opportunity to affect the relationship. And at the end of the day, hospitality is all about what relationship you have with the guest. The better that is, the more likely they are to book with you and stay with you in the future, right? So every time you send an email, there's a chance for you to improve that relationship or to degrade that relationship. So you really need to think about what you're doing. You know, we're we're big fans here of filtering the list and segmenting the list and giving the guest choice of when they receive stuff so you're not just hitting the whole database every month or whatever Mm -hmm. it is so really really think about what i'm sending right now if you just send a message that says 20 percent off buy now fire sale blah 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 right that's going to alienate the vast majority of the database because especially if you're in like a, a destination where it's a once a year kind of a trip repeat destination there's probably a good nine ten months of the year they really don't care about what the rates are and when, when they, you know, any of that offer stuff. But they do want value from you. They do want you to continue building a relationship. And that's where information that is helpful to them about the area, about what is going to benefit them when they do stay, that's really, really critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think Gary Vaynerchuk does a really good job of kind of talking about that, of, you know, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving. And then you take. Yeah, you, you give, give, you give, give, ask. Give. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you keep What's doing it, he, that. That was the book he did, Jab, 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 Punch. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Jab, 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 Right Hook or something? Yeah, whatever something it like was. that. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, so by making your emails both salesy in the terms of an offer, but also always having value. something of value yeah. is, is critical. So, 
you know, beyond that, we typically look at a, a very simple content layout of a main offer, a secondary news item or promotion, and then just some evergreen type content that might be your amenities, links, your photo gallery, whatever it might be. So you know what you're ready to send, and that takes us to and that's actually building your email. So some of the things that we want to go through here are a little bit on the kind of nuts and bolts side, but we're also going to assume that you've already chosen what platform you're using. Yeah. Fuel mail, right? You're using fuel mail, yeah. And now it's time to actually start building that content and a few things that you want to do there. First of all, from a content perspective, you need to know that people don't read anything on the internet, let alone email. Photo photography is key, using good images with text that will get your point across and be very to the point using bulleted points, you know, brief copy, very clear call to action. You know, sending them right through that process and getting them hooked on what you're offering versus just throwing it all out there in the email. So you said people don't read. So what about just sending one big image? <laughs> that is a no-no. Oh, womp. Yeah, we've seen that. <clears throat> Yeah, and, and, reason and why is, is that, Pete? One, more and more people have images disabled, which is a problem. And two, if depending on how you're consuming your email, it may not come through at all. Think of email no different than your web user. And in many cases, you have more people who have made that tipping point to only consuming email on their phone. And if you send a giant image with just the, the offer, Think of that scale down to the size of your iPhone. It's going to be hard to read. It's not going to format itself clearly. And it's just, it's a mistake. Yeah. And and one of the things, and I don't think people really appreciate this, how the, the email service providers have evolved over the years to kind of counter spam and things like that. But looking at Gmail specifically now, what interaction the first, say, 10% of your email list has with your email will affect what happens to the remaining 90% of your list. So if you send an email that's a, a single image and people you know, don't respond to that well, they delete it quickly, they report it as spam, they don't see it, whatever it is, if that interaction is terrible, there's a good chance the majority of the list isn't even going to see it. It's not going to land in their inbox. It's going to go either to spam or promotions or something like that. So you've really got to make sure that you're, you're creating messaging and, um, you know, from everything from the subject line and the, and the content that is not only going to get opened, but is going to be appreciated by these people and not trigger them to go and report a mm -hmm. spam or just unsubscribe or whatever. Exactly. And if you offer value and you send your emails on a consistent basis, your customers are going to understand why you're sending it to them and understand there's value to it as well. Right. And here's the thing. If you can get to a point where you're creating enough value in your email, then people actually look forward to it, especially mm -hmm. if you're consistent. If you send your email on the second Tuesday of every month or whatever, and you prime people to, to appreciate it and look for that, that has a tremendous impact on your engagement. Absolutely does. So, And then you kind of think of the other things that it takes to, to build an email, and we'll have these in the show notes, but make sure your image sizes aren't gigantic. An email is typically going to be six to seven hundred pixels wide. An image should never be wider than that. Uh, make sure it looks, you know, when you're building it, you're thinking about from a mobile perspective as well. 
I mean, you should really, really stop from the mobile perspective. You should. Because, I, you know, just like website traffic, the majority of email is checked on a mobile device these days. Mm-hmm. So, that, I mean, that should be the way you stop and then work back to the desktop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of times, you know, you may have an inset image that you say, oh, this is secondary. But that image is going to take up just as much real estate as your main promotional offer on a phone if everything is stacked up. Yep. So, you kind of want to think about that stuff. Uh, the other thing you want to do when you think about content is personalization is absolutely amazing. And if you can find a way and your email platform allows it and your database is set up to have this information, if you can say, Stuart, we have great Easter deals, that absolutely performs better than, you know, dear Myrtle Beach dear visitor. Yes. Yeah. It, Put the it, name in. Yeah, if you have bl- the name, you it, it almost. I mean, most platforms enable you to do that, right? It does. So, it, it's not so much the platform; it's the the do you have the data when you're yeah. building your when database. When you're collecting the your data. database, has it? <coughs> yeah, and you, so. yeah, I mean, you can always if you don't have every record with it, you can put in defaults or whatever. But sure. yeah, that, I mean, just like in real life, when you use someone's name, it's a magic word, right? It has an impact, an emotional connection with people. Again, your email is a form of communication that impacts your relationship with the guests. Mm-hmm. Using their name is a way to improve the relationship. So yep. you should absolutely do it when you when you can. Yep. And the last thing from a content perspective is content doesn't start with the body of the email. It starts with the subject line. And spending time thinking about a perfect subject line, creating a perfect subject line, and we'll talk about testing subject lines as well later, but spend the time there. Don't phone that one in after you spent so much time building out your actual email. Potentially, if nobody opens it, right. it doesn't matter how great that content is on the inside. Right. Yeah, potentially the most important component of the subject line and uh, of the email, and it's probably the one that's given the least yeah. consideration. I mean, literally the first pe- thing people ask is, oh, what's your open rate? Right. That Nobody cares what your promotion is, what your offers are, what your news is. If you don't have a subject line that's going to get them engaged, you've wasted all your other right. efforts. And you got to be careful with that because you can get like, and we'll talk about testing, like you said, but you can get a bit clickbaity with it in the short term, where you can, you know, use tricks. Like, there's little hacks to get open rate, like oops, and you know, there's you'll never believe, and you know, stuff like that. Using psychology to to get people to open, but long term, that doesn't help you. Because what you do is you train people that you're duping them. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be authentic and honest in those subject lines. You got, I mean, I think it's okay to use psychology. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think you can be um, disingenuous with the subject line to trick people into opening. You know what one has gotten me a lot lately is regarding your upcoming trip. Yeah. Like you've already booked it. Like, I'm like, wait, what? But that won't work consistently, right? right? So you, you probably open the first view yourself. and then you're like, ah, oh, those assholes, you know? What so did next you time they out say when it. you let when you finish with asshole. <laughs> you don't want to know <laughs> okay. what goes on in my head. It's not it's not G rated. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so test your subject lines and make sure that you have, you know, something amazing. You that takes us right to step four. Four, 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 four. Testing your email across many many platforms you know there's no t in that word right that's or the second D. time you said it which word what across. what was the word you just said across 
No, that's not what you said. What did you say? Did I say across? Yeah. This, this, welcome this welcome to the correcting Pete's speech day. Especially across <laughs> all platforms. Say that. Um, he needs an expression. Say AS. I love how you say. As? That's not how you say it usually. I'm not saying it anyway. <laughs> anyway, we want you to test your emails. And, and here's why. Microsoft Outlook is not your friend. It's more like family where you what, have to deal Pete, with them. What's Phil's friend? Do you remember? Phil doesn't have any friends. <laughs> no. Uh, he has extensions a very... Your extensions are your friends. Extensions of Phil's friends. <laughs> Call back to like a couple of episodes yeah. ago. So. Extensions are my friend. No. You have to test your email across a lot of platforms because while you might be using Gmail, there is still a portion of the audience that uses some variant of Outlook. Hotmail. Or Hotmail, whatever it might be. <laughs> and honestly, any web-based... I still have a Hotmail address. But you do. I but do. any web-based mail platform is not a big deal. It's the hosted or the actual clients that are downloaded on the The machine. Outlooks of the world. Yeah. Outlook. It's, it's Outlook. It's Outlook. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a nightmare. Yeah. But it's here's Outlook. the thing you need to understand. you got to deal with Outlook whether you like to or not. Right. So make sure you're using some type of system. If it's Litmus, if it's email on Acid, if it's your email platform itself giving you a little report card of how you perform, it's really important to do because it's amazing how bad Outlook specifically can screw up the best looking email yep. and just make it look like junk. If you're listening to this and you still use Outlook, it's time to switch. Stop it. So. <laughs> well, you know what, though? A lot of people do get personal email at their work, and that may be what they're using at work. Is yeah. Well, they should outlook. still stop. Yeah, you can still well. switch it. So the next part about testing is specifically for Melissa. What? Yep. Test your links and your tracking. It's so important that you look at the email not the version that you're coding on your email platform, but actually proofing out a version to yourself and clicking on every, every link. single link. All right, so I'm going to do a shameless plug of our email platform right now. So, you know, we just updated at the beginning of this year and we rolled out to a bunch of our clients. And I keep hearing again and again the most favorite feature of our new system, but by everyone that I've talked to, is the fact that when you're tagging an email, right? Because you want to campaign track every link. And in every other system I've ever seen, you have to go through every link one by one and add a campaign ID in. In our system, you put that in in one place and it appends it to every link within the email. So it saves awesome. you so much time. And errors. Yeah, and it stops you monkeying up and forgetting mm -hmm. that one link in the in the whatever. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, you're using the same header with the same amenities. Right. Rooms, so you got to change that every time you do it. Time. Yeah. So in as you just at, at the campaign level, at the email creative level, you put in the campaign ID, mm -hmm. and it Everything automatically is. appends to every system yeah, that you, saves you minutes every time you send an email triple check that once rather than triple check every link right exactly yeah, yeah. and then when you went, go and make a change because you you know you do a proof to yourself and get it back and then you have to go make changes mm -hmm. you got to check them. yeah it's just a pain yeah we 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 like solving pains we like getting yes. eliminating pains and that's what we did with our email platform so even beyond that from a, a testing platform there's two other tests you need to do one look at it on your phone not on your browser as if it was scaled down to your phone. Actually look at it on your phone and Test see. Test send to your phone. Right. Because a lot of times like everything is technically correct, but the text is very small. You can't read it. The buttons aren't big enough you know, to make sense. 
Yeah, they're shifted too far off to the right. Something right. weird. Yeah, just look at it on your phone. And then lastly, run it through a spam checker. And this one is so important if you go to you know, Stuart's clickbaity subject lines and, and content. If it doesn't get past the spam checkers, your customers never even see the message. Boom, boom, boom. Dun, 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 dun. So, so I, this isn't really relevant to that kind of testing, like the, the actual testing that it works. But I don't think I saw in your notes anywhere where you're talking about actually doing an A-B test real time in the message. On step six. Step okay, six, never mind. I do. All right, I missed that. All right, keep going so, there. So we're on. But yeah, because we're not at step six. six, six. Okay. We're, right now we're at five, step five. Which is checking your list. And check it twice. Right, because you want to make sure. You're naughty or nice. You're naughty or nice. And the people who are on your list are the ones who actually need to be on there. And there's a couple things you want to look out for. One, does your email, does your website still feed emails from your email sign up, your first visit pop up, whatever it might be, into your email database? Right. Are you getting new email addresses right. into your list? <clears throat> because you should be, and you may not be. That's especially important after you've done especially. like a, especially important after you've done uh, a website redesign. Yes. Or you switch booking engine. Mm-hmm. And when stuff changes. Your email is often something that you forget you have a to new check. Pop-up plugin, whatever. Yeah, every yeah, yeah. everything and, and that the, affects you your database submission. Yeah, you should always be, be looking at your list as it is it growing, shrinking, or whatever. You're always going to have some kind of attrition. You're going to have some kind, you know bounces, unsubscribe things like that. But and your list should always be check. going up. All you have to do is just go to the admin of your website, look at a form, find the most recent entry, look at that email address, and then go to your email platform. And is that email address in there? Well, that's assuming they're using a pl- like a WordPress or something where it's storing in the website. Not everyone is, right? So to me, mm-hmm. the more important thing is go and actually put in a f- test test 2732 at testytest.com and go make sure it ends up in yes. the database. Yeah, either way you want to, it's, it's super important that you actually check that because you may have to do a massive data import. And in your case, Stuart, if you're not storing that data locally as well, then you need to figure out what went wrong because you lost yeah you're done 30 days worth of data i mean yeah. when was the last time you did your newsletter yeah so. so i mean that's a good tip right you should always store the data locally on your website as well mm-hmm. as in your email platform yeah next test is make sure your guest history emails from your pms are being added into your newsletter list assuming those users have opted in right so this is critical so let's assume that a lot of folks listening aren't, that aren't using fuel have a high dependency on OTAs, right? It's a fair assumption. OTAs don't give you a real email address. Some of them will give you a fake email address that only works temporarily, but you need to make sure that your reservation staff or your front desk staff are asking for a real email address at every opportunity and maybe incentivizing them to do so. And making sure that you're not just looking that they're entering something, but they're entering accurate stuff. Because we've mm-hmm. seen cases, we had one recently where someone said, oh, we get 95% of our OTAs converted to email addresses. And we had them send us the report and looked through it. And it was email at email.com and no name at no name. You know, it was junk. 
So you got to make sure this actual legitimate email address is getting entered and that that stuff is filtering into your email system. So is that best practice at the front desk always, always ask for an email address? Then you might I get mean, two from Why somebody. wouldn't you, right? Or just hey, to can, confirm your email address is. Yeah. Whatever or, you want to Can say. I have your email address so we can send you a receipt? You know, there's, there's ways to do it that aren't invasive and that enhance the relationship. But you've got to make sure that culturally your, your staff are in line with the value of why to do that. You can't just tell, hey, we need an email address because they're just going to take shortcuts and enter testatest.com. And I guarantee you, if I look at any hotelier's email database, there's at least a few emails in there that are something at guest.booking.com. Yeah. Because that is the alias that is created when someone books on booking.com. Mm -hmm. And you have to identify those and say, oh, wait a minute. This isn't actually at guest.booking.com. This is you know, fill dot, right. you know, whatever domain. Because that email will, will work until they've stayed. And I think there's a time after they've stayed, but it's very limited. It's so like you, 30 to 60 days, if that. Right. So you've got to get that real email address. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you lose all opportunity to communicate with that person. Plus, mm -hmm. it's another bounce when it goes through, which then the email service providers are like, hey. Good point. Bouncing. Yep. That's true. So. Next check is if this has a promotion in it, or a money-saving offer, you may want to consider suppressing your current reservations. <laughs> you may, you want, may to. want to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, because look at it this way. Let's say you realize that you're soft at the beginning of June, so you drop rate, and then you send an email out to your database that includes everybody who booked at the full rate in June. You do not want to tell them, just hey, created you're, a bunch of you're an calls. idiot. Call us back and get a lower rate. Yeah, unless you do some kind of price match guarantee, if you know, like Priceline used to. If, yeah. If you find a lower rate, well, mm -hmm. but no, yeah, always eliminate, omit yeah. those existing reservations. Yeah. So make sure you, if you're sending to something, you have a suppression list. And then lastly, if it's a geographic message, make sure you're sending to that geography only. So you're not wasting other people's time. And if you do that stuff, it will take you right to step which is send and monitor. So you've gotten to the point now where you've created your list, you've got your message ready to go, everything else is squared away, and you're ready to press send. You've already proofed the message to yourself on mobile devices and everywhere else, and now is the time to send. The very first thing you, you want to do is if you can do some form of testing, to put it in place and do it. Uh, just kind of as a simple example, I don't think we ever send emails that we're not testing something. Typically, it's just a subject line test. But on average, we're seeing a 15 to 20% improvement in open rate from subject line A to subject line B. Right. And so the mistake a lot of people make with that is they'll test 50-50 on an, e on an individual email. And then, they'll, no and then they'll try to, they'll, all right. and then they'll try to apply the knowledge they gained on the next email. But the problem is each one is so different and there's so many factors. What we recommend, and we've said this plenty of times on the show before, but send 10% to option, send 10% of the list option A, 10% option B, and then the remaining 80% send the winning one automatically. And most, I feel like most good email platforms today offer that capability, as certainly does, I think a lot of others do. But that way you're optimizing 90% of the list mm -hmm. every time. So, they're always getting the better version. So we sent a fuel email today. Yeah. And we did a subject line test. It was killer, so, man. It was a really good email. So now we're going to find Cartman out. Cartman on it on everything. Anything that has Cartman in it. 
So, guys, you remember we did the episode a couple of weeks ago about... 107. Um, yeah, 107 was on how to leverage your authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we never respect made the authority. respect my authority joke. So, Pete wasn't on that episode, but he sent out the email today and was referencing that that met, that um, podcast in the big image at the top had a Cartman on it. Nice. Respect my authority. Yeah. Behind a counter at a hotel yeah it was awesome. Awesome. oh yeah. nice did he have the sunglasses on he absolutely it was nice, yeah. nice so anyway okay here's the here's the the quiz which of these subject lines perform better the first one hotel fuel hotel marketing news use your authority to drive direct bookings or hotel marketing podcast 107 driving direct bookings with special guest neil howe i say number one i say number one all right everybody's wrong i didn't vote Yay. <laughs> I don't matter. Yeah, don't, don't no. Uh, Hotel Marketing Podcast 107, Driving Direct Bookings with Special Guest Neil Howe, outperformed the other version by 21%. Wow. Wow. I think people are like, oh, who's Neil Howe? Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Whatever Just kidding. it is. But you can always rationalize after the fact. But the point <laughs> is, our assumptions aren't right. often correct. Right. So what we do in, in our specific example is 15% of lists get version A, 15% get version B, after several hours, the remaining 70% get the winning version. All right. So 85% get the optimized version. I guess. Well, no, in this case, well, yeah, I guess technically it would be 85%. Technically. No, it is. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know that it's the last 15%. You guys should go right. back and listen to that episode, by the way. It was great. Yeah. I was on it. Why do I need to listen to it? So anyway, once you have your testing in place, you are ready to send. You press send. And, <laughs> and it makes that noise. Yep. It makes that noise. You mailed us. So, but you're not quite done because you do want to continue to monitor that send for the next couple hours. Mm-hmm. One to make sure that your your testing trigger fired appropriately, but then also, it's amazing the clarity that you have 30 seconds after you press send on a massive email <laughs> campaign. <laughs> oh no! And you're like, oh, I probably should check and see if the links on the website are tracked or whatever it might be. So after you press send, you should have already proofed everything, but there's going to be some moment of clarity. <laughs> Give yourself some time to... I can't tell you how many times that setting in Gmail has saved me. Oh, the 10-second I have a 30-second delay <laughs> oh, on you my sends. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Sometimes I've sent some ranting emails. and Just to, it cathodically, it helps me to hit send, and then I'm like, nope. <laughs> Undo. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone's like, get the error email cannot be reversed. Yeah, like, ah. <laughs> yeah. So, and so hold on, okay. before we go off that, so testing, there's a lot of things you can test, right? You can there test is. subject line, you can test from address, things like that. We found that subject line is often the most critical. But one of the other things people like to test is the time of sending. Yes. The problem with that is it's really. I think it's it's a mistake to test that because I think it, it comes down to the individual person. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we did with our new email platform for Fuel Mail is gave it the ability to target individuals based on their preference. So if I historically see that Pete opens emails at 10 a.m. and that Melissa opens them at 12 and that Phil opens them at 9 p.m., then rather than me sending everyone the email at the same time, I'm going to look at each each person individually and trickle it out at the time that I know they're more likely to well, click. you're not going to do it. No, the system does right. automatically, right? So there's an option in ours to do that. It's using AI to basically say, 
optimize the time of delivery to each individual. And what we found is that gives a good lift in terms of open rate when we're putting in each individual person's inbox at the appropriate time. And I think that's a better way to do it, to treat people as individuals versus try to do like an average time, you know, because if you do an mean average, it means that the majority of people, you're not doing it in the right time, right? So That that sounds like that's probably one of my favorite pieces of fuel mail then. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. It always reminds me of Al Pacino in Any Given Sunday where he talks about the game of inches mm-hmm. for football. Yep. Because that's what fo- that's what email, email marketing is, is. Is It's not... Imagine an inch of your <clears throat> inbox. How right. many emails are in an inch of your inbox? Yeah, well, that's not what I mean at all. <laughs> 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 but, but no, I, th- I think it means like you, you have to go after each half percentage that you can in Lyft. And if it's a subject line test, if it's testing whether an image or a animated GIF performs better for your main graphic... Or if you know, Melissa does. prefers the, the to get performance better. way better. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, But if it's that or if it's Melissa likes to get an email at 12 o'clock versus 1 o'clock, you have to do each and one of those every and every one of those things to get the best performance. Right. But most platforms don't let you do multiple tests, right? You can't test time of delivery and subject line and content. Stony. So, so you know, with our platform, what you do is you don't have to worry about testing the time of day because it's automatically optimizing. So then you test the next best thing, which is the subject line, because you get more people into the email at that point. Yep. All right, now you may continue. Now is the very final step, seven, which seven, is seven, step seven, 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 seven. <clears throat> Review your analytics. I wish this was step eight. What, what would you mean? for step seven? I don't know, but I oh, want her analytics eight. to be eight. Yeah. Oh. Womp. Seven, eight, nine. <laughs> <laughs> No. Okay. Someone said that joke literally like I'd never heard it the other day. Oh, it was what? my son. My yeah, my thirteen year old son asked me. Like he he acted like this is the funniest joke that he'd ever heard. Yeah. And that no one had ever heard it before. Why did six eat? Or fit, what was it? Why, Why was six, six afraid, afraid of seven? Of seven? Yeah. Seven, eight, nine. Boom. So anyway, right. reviewing your analytics. You sent. You finished the send, but you're not quite done yet because you do want to see how it performs. Because immediately after you f- send this month's email, next month's email is right behind it. So look at what performed, what worked best in terms of your articles. We like to typically give it about a week. You know, you'll get get ninety percent of your performance within the first twenty four hours, but give it a couple of days. See how your email performed, what links got clicked, what actually led people to convert, and then from there you can make next month's email. Even better. And I would also take the notes from that send. Pop them back into the content calendar you already created for email. So when you go to review it for next year, you, have you all remember your what worked. Yes. What? 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 That's email marketing. And also go into your analytics and put a notation. Oh, annotations, yes. That you sent an email that day. Don't yes. forget to do that. Annotations, track your stats, know what you're supposed to do next year. You're going to... Marketing will get cruising along. That's very top line how to go through the whole email process. Right. And there's so much more to it. But if you kind of follow those fundamentals, I think you're heading in the right direction. And right. you'll optimize and you'll make your campaigns more advanced just by nature of you thinking about it and just doing it on an ongoing right. basis. And, and, you know, we don't really encourage this spray and pray mentality of sending everyone the same email 
once a month, right? I think you've got to get a little more crafty about segmentation, about triggered emails, about, you know, funnels and, and things like that. That's 102. Yeah, but I think that's that's a, that's a subject for another podcast mm-hmm. episode. But I think, yeah. I, th- I think what your takeaway should be is fuel mail is super powerful and you should get <laughs> it. We just, I mean, AI, that's all I need to say. Yeah. We use artificial intelligence in our email platform. So you should use it. It's we, awesome. We don't use blockchain, but we do use AI. <laughs> we'll great. figure out how to use blockchain. Buzzword, buzzword, yeah. buzzword. Yeah. Hey, we do use a NoSQL database. That's cool. Ooh. Ooh. That allows us I'm to. I saw about some that. really cool SQL-based stuff this week that Google Cloud showed us, and I have to tell you guys all about it in a different time. That needs to be its own yeah, future well, podcast. I know the that nerd podcast. Really cool. Holy <laughs> wow! I, some of that stuff was blowing my mind. <clears throat> all right, guys. Well, we are at the hour mark. Thanks, Pete, for this one one. Again, you can get the notes to this show. We kind of documented all this that we talked about on the on the um, show notes at fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 109. Uh, if you have questions about email marketing, you can hit us up, info at fueltravel.com, and also info at fueltravel.com if you want to ask about fuel mail as well. It's a pretty cool product. We're just rolling out. We're going to be doing a, a lot of demos at high tech this year. Um, and I also wanted to announce too that we're going to be doing some live interviewing at high tech in Minneapolis this year, which is middle of June. It's kind of the Super Bowl for software in um, the hospitality industry. So if, if you're attending high tech, you're a fan of the podcast, and you want to actually be on the podcast, then stop by our booth and we will do an interview. And we'll or be just reaching stop out, by promoting and say hi stuff. Anyway. Yeah, come by and say you're a fan. Tell us what you think. That'd be great. And if you like this 101 kind of format, then let us know as well because we'll do more of those. And if you hate it, let us know and then we won't do more. That's that's how this thing works. We listen to you guys. That's really why we do the show. So, Pete. Yes. If they want to talk to you about Flat Earther conspiracies, how can they find you on the web? They can find me at Flat Earth Pete. That's actually not true. It's, <laughs> it's P DeMaio, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. And that's on Twitter? On Twitter. Yeah, okay. Believe it or not. Great. And Melissa, they want to learn about anti-vaxxing and all the non-evidence towards that. What, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me, but none of that information, on Twitter at M.A. Kavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And Phil, if they want to learn about why Neil Armstrong did not land on the moon, where can they find you? Um, one small step at Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at P Fariska, P F O R I S K A. Do you know the the story behind that phrase? Yeah, he the one up still, the he, phrase. he completely uh, messed up. And if you listen to it, you can hear he's like, "Oh crap!" Yeah, like because there's a big pause, right? Because he was meant to say one, one small step, step for, for man. Yeah, he's meant to say one small step for a man. Yeah, one giant leap for mankind. And he missed the A. And he got through one small step for man. He's like, oh, Here's millions a, of people are watching me that's now. That's why you know that they actually had multiple takes. Because <laughs> the, the footprint was already there. If you look at it. Fun fact. Hey, wait. I thought he was the, <laughs> okay, the conspiracy theorist. You were the flat out. Fun fact. I went to Neil Armstrong Elementary School. Did you really? Oh. Yep. Wow. Where was that? The moon. Undisclosed location. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. No, it's in it's in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Don't act like it's some super secret spy spy high, it was, high it school. It was on the moon. That's why I know the landing space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you want to get the notes to this week's show, you can go to fueltravel.com slash podcast, click on episode one oh nine. And until next time, you've been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Uh-huh.
You almost sounded like Indiana Jones there. <coughs> down and down, down and down. 